This episode of Rebel Talk is brought to you by Rebel Tech. Human stories for startups. Rebel Shrebel, you've dropped your dress. Rebel Shrebel, your face is a mess. I absolutely believe that there is a backlash against tech coming, and I'm frankly amazed that it hasn't been worse already. Being an entrepreneur is a lifestyle choice, and I think the name of this podcast is You Need to Be a Rebel. I am absolutely unemployable. Hello and welcome to Rebel Talk, a brand new podcast that celebrates rebels from every walk of life. Each episode, we talk to the troublemakers whose predilection for bending the rules is driving progress, change and transformation. I'm your host, Mark Schwakey, and today I'm joined by the founders of two of my favourite tech startups, Benji Lanyardo of Pickfair, the image licensing company causing sleepless nights for the likes of Getty and Shutterstock with its commitment to rewarding photographers and their creativity, and Anthony Eskenazi of Just Park, the amazing parking app that's making parking easy for everyone and, says Anthony, leading a £50 billion industry into the digital age. You started Pickfair when you were how old? 29? 30, 30. Same question, Anthony. You started when you were? 23. Okay, 23, wow. What are the barriers to young people starting out now? Knowing what you know about how hard it's been and about all the different challenges that have probably grown and developed you, what are the, what's, what are the barriers to, to people starting out now with an idea? I think a lot of it is the lack of soft skills that have been taught in schools. I look at, I look at my kids who are in, at the very start of their education and they're still being taught you know, about Oxbow Lakes and, you know, what's happened in the 1780s. And I think that is important. But where are the negotiation skills? Where are the debating skills? Where are they, where are they learning actually how to conduct themselves in business? They're not being taught yet, although I know a number of schools are starting to add that to their curriculum. And I think people are leaving, leaving school, leaving university. There's been so much pressure, especially with the introducing of tuition fees. What are they, you're getting this education, but how are you going to use that in, in your career in life? Have you mm. ever used any knowledge of an oxbow lake in practical? <laughs> no, but I've, I've used it in a number of podcasts. Have you? <laughs> um, it's just I, I don't believe that we're... I know coding is now being taught as part of the curriculum, which I think is a fantastic step forward. It's a game changer, yeah. Absolutely, but being an entrepreneur is a lifestyle choice. And you're never... I don't think you can... There's no, I received no training Is it restricted all. to a certain type of personality, do yeah, you think? Yeah, and, absolutely. And I think the name of this podcast is... You need to be a rebel. I am absolutely unemployable. I can't imagine doing anything else because I quit my job at Deloitte after six weeks to start this business. How did mum and dad feel about it? You've met my parents. <laughs> Seriously, how did, tell, no. me, tell me how you okay. square getting a job at Deloitte, quitting after six weeks to go into something that doesn't exist yet. How do you square that with mum and dad? I'm talking on behalf of all the young people out there. Sure. I started creating the idea before I started Deloitte. I launched it two weeks in. I think the fact that my my ugly mug was in four or five national newspapers and I was invited to speak on three or four radio stations, I think that gave my parents confidence that I may be onto something. They all, I also told them Deloitte kept my job open for a year so I could go back. So was they that kind true? Of, what, what, what's true? That Deloitte kept your job open? Absolutely, they kept my job and said, you can come back, we like this kind of personality, we want to encourage more of it in the professional services firm. So I think with all that information, they were quite cool about it, they were quite excited, but very nervous. Um, but I was living at home. I had it was a, it was quite a low risk situation for me. If I was doing it, maybe at Benji's stage of, when he started Pickfair, that's a much bigger commitment. I 
I had I wasn't sacrificing a salary. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have a you know a wife or kids. It's a very different stage of life. Doing it now, at the age of thirty, thirty-five, forty, you know, I guess similar to what you're doing, Mark. It's a it's a risk, and I've got so much respect for people doing it where there's much more on the line. I yeah, I took a risk, but the risk was much lower at that point. Benji, what about you? Whilst I do totally agree that you you kind of need to just have that thing in you that and it's the same thing that makes you a, a pain in the ass to manage is the is the thing that means you should probably you know ask my old editor at the guardian he'll say yeah benji always should have run his own thing you'll be told no so many times you'll 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 you know especially pitching investors you know for every one yes there's five no's and things will go wrong and 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 staff will let you down or 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 they'll leave without you know all these things will happen and if and if that's enough to floor you then yeah you won't make it through i think one of the the major major differentiators as well is a level of humility the 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 founders that i've seen re- that really struggle are founders who are unable to say i don't know the answer to this question they 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 will per- they'll bullshit they'll basically try and like fumble their way through all these decisions not having a clue what they're doing whereas i do think that something i learned very quickly was that i had to learn the you know learn the know what i didn't know and find someone who did and and there is always somebody out there who was who's who's had your challenge before in fundraising it meant that i had to go and find people that raised rounds before and say um i don't know what the fuck i'm doing here what 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 the hell is a preferential share what the hell is eis what the hell what what the hell is a term sheet what what the hell is liquidation preferences yeah. this kind of stuff just find people that know the answer rather than pretending you know the answer and bullshitting your way through with all that's going on right now, is the UK a barrier to startups and businesses like yours looking to scale? Or is there still a built-in advantage and opportunity to living, not just in London, but in the UK? I think the UK is one of the best places in the world to start a business. and Still? Still, um, even with Brexit. I'm not entirely sure, especially for a technology business, how big an impact Brexit will have. Maybe the influx of European talent is probably going to be, have the biggest impact. But A, a the, dangerous impact or just... I don't think the UK government are going to put barriers up to the UK. The UK government knows that the UK is the hub, the the second best place in the world to start a business. The UK government is pretty stupid. It's a completely different podcast. (laughs) Um, I'll get Benji back for that one too. (laughs) But and I'd say one of the key reasons is EMI. And for people who who don't know who are listening, EMI is the Enterprise Management Incentive Scheme. It means you can offer stock options to all of your employees at the most incredible, with incredible, most incredible tax benefits. Better, and it's been it's been studied by researchers across across the world. It is by far the best system, and so a way to share the success of your startup, share, encourage people to join a startup, especially to attract talent from the big banks and and large industry. It's an incredible tool we have in our arsenal, and I'd say that that alone. Um, let alone the fact we've got incredible access to talent, be it in Europe, but the fact with the English language, etc. I think that um, is why it's incredible to start a business here. You've got a view, Ben? Um, I think two things are happening in parallel, one negative and one positive. Um, is it worth talking about? That's just a neutral. Well, it, it, <laughs> Sorry, that's my only physics joke. <laughs> <laughs> what, so let's start with the, with the negative. Um, there is there there has been a bit of recoiling in the in the um, investment community and the 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 impending I'm not sure if this has happened already the European Investment Fund pulling out of a huge amount of um, 
of of VC funds within the UK. So a huge amount of VC funds in the UK are matched or, or or bolstered by the European investment fund, which is going to go. So that you know that that trickles down the investment community and make and and, and increase increases what is already a bit of a a risk aversion compared to. Um, you know the states, for example. So that's the negative thing. Is there is a there is a slightly sort of atmospheric thing going on that that I think um, w- will impact on on um, various investment stages. Also, the other thing that is simultaneously happening is that the rest of the, you know five years ago, the only people that really invested in startups were VCs and like tech angels. These were people who had run their own companies. The 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 landscape, um, the investment landscape has dramatically broadened just in the last two three years, where everybody is suddenly waking up to investing in startups as a kind of you know investment asset class in itself. And this is whilst the traditional investment assets like you know stocks and shares, property, um, uh, have all been you know flattering to deceive. Suddenly, this high risk, high return option is is making its way to the city. So, you know, partners at law firms, partners at hedge funds, individuals, um, corporates, as Anthony was talking about, companies like BMW, they weren't investing in startups 10 years ago. So suddenly, maybe the traditional, you know, VC part of the investment community is recalling a little bit. Meanwhile, everyone else is just catching up. So I think those things kind of balance themselves out. Can I say something a, bit, a little bit controversial here? Yeah, go on. Two things that do absolutely no favours to the UK business community and especially startups are probably two of the most prominent uh, TV shows, but The Apprentice and oh, Dragon's Den. Such bullshit. Absolutely bullshit. Yeah. Firstly, Dragon's Den, as a, as a startup founder, should you be giving up 30, 40, 50% of your company? No, not, not at that stage. As a founder, you need to have enough skin in the game after one, two, three founding round, funding rounds to make sure you're still, you know, there's enough upside in there for, you to become, for it to be a life-changing business for yourself. Plus, the feedback you get is is all bullshit. Um, and The Apprentice, obviously, and look, I get it, they're entertainment shows. But I believe the BBC has a responsibility to actually help advise startup founders, entrepreneurs. This is I, not how I don't businesses mind, run. I don't mind the entertainment aspect of it, but the, the sheen, which they still try and place on that show... You know, one of the UK's biggest business minds, and these people are all looking to be serious business. That that's that's absolutely appalling. And it makes you. I think it also sets the message that to be successful in business, you have to be a bit of a hard ass and a yeah. dick about everything. It's like that's just not true. Yeah. Like the the if anything, the most successful people I've met within you know the the business community are delightful, and compassionate, and, and yeah, everything. I know both of you, but you know one another. How did you meet? Through, uh, if you're if you're familiar with elite sport in London, you'll know the Mill Hill Power League, uh, which is where me me and Anthony first locked horns many years ago. We were on the same football list, weren't we? I don't know how or why. Yeah. Are you, are you both good? Nah. <laughs> yeah. No. No. I, after five minutes, just sort of breathing very very hard. Yeah, I actually retired a few years back. I think they did a minute's applause yeah. at Mill Hill and Barnet Power Leagues when, when, I, when I announced my uh, the end of the end of my career. Football's a funny one, especially at the likes of Power League, because you, when you turn up to a Power League, it looks often to the naked eye or to somebody who's not into football like a bit of a a bit a bit workmanlike, a bit of a dump. Sorry, Power League. But when you get onto the pitch and you're playing, it turns into Wembley, it becomes everything. And I still have this thing in my head when I play that I'm... 
somehow like not quite fulfilled my potential but there as the greatest <laughs> footballer that ever walked the earth same same on a dance floor i literally it's like somehow physics is defied and i am the greatest I dancer firmly, on the dance floor i firmly believe that the way you play football says quite a lot about the kind of person that you are yeah and so when oh, i God. played football I was a bit selfish and incredibly self-punishing. And uh, that's kind of the way I am sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, well, if that's the case, I'm proud to say I try things that never come off. (laughs) Guys, as entrepreneurs and founders, you're familiar with probably a good challenge and a bit of healthy competition. So I'm, I'm, I'm after the answer to this question. I wonder which of you feels you've had the biggest fail or fuck up story as a founder. Like what was the, the biggest screw up you ever made? Back in 2012, my wife had reason to join the company. We were about four people. And we did a what you should never do when you're running a tech company and do a big bang release. And that's basically saying, look, we're going to effectively relaunch the entire technology of our, of our website. And what we did was we did it right before a huge game at Wembley Stadium and a huge game at Twickenham the day after. What happened? We had a thousand cars booked on 10 driveways. Jesus. This was, we found out Friday afternoon, so we had a 1,000 people that were going to show up. So 990 cars, angry football and rugby fans. Expecting the same parking space. Expecting the same parking space. My wife had just recently joined. She was on customer service. The abuse she got. I remember going home on Friday night, and I go to my parents every, every Friday night for, for dinner. The closest I've been to a heart attack. What happened? How did you deal with this 990 people? We basically commissioned for a car park close by. We paid for that car park to open itself up. and Was it, was it not it. going to open up anyway? We basically booked out this entire car park. Um, we took over a couple of, I think, a hotel car park. We, took over, we just basically did whatever we could. We had to cancel everyone's was your, many people's bookings. Was your wife currently your wife at the time? She, recently. Right. <laughs> but it, I basically went home thinking, I've been working on this project, this business, dedicated my life to it for six years. We're, we're dying this weekend. Six years of hard work is over. And customers were emailing our investors, calling our investors. It, it was carnage. And people lost their jobs because of it. Wait, your people lost their jobs? Some, well, as in people people moved on afterwards. For me, I had to make a decision, like, what do we do? We've just released this new website. It's not working. And... Because that's a pro- it was a, a product mistake. It was it. it was a huge product mistake, but it's you know not enough quality assurance, not enough testing, etc. We rushed it out. You can you can you can do that when you're a small business when you've got you know a thousand customers something like that. We had 200,000 customers at that point. You can't make you. We had to mature as a business. Anthony, when when something like that happens and you've been working at the same product for six years and and your story is fairly well documented, right? So you were working, you were almost shunning a social life and and other life to get this off the ground when something like that happens is it just one isolated incident or is it oh shit this whole thing has just been a fucking idea in my head and it's not working it's not going to work was it was it this if this doesn't work i might have to quit time it kind of felt like the decision wasn't being it wasn't my choice anymore our customers would decide whether they're going to continue using us and the fact i felt because the up until that point the website had been built by my by me I knew all the code, everything else. We'd just launched a new website. I didn't know anything about this new language. So I, I felt completely powerless to, to sort out the problem. What I ended up doing was we reverted the website um, over the course of a week or two. And then the guys who built it moved on shortly after. And 
I rebuilt, I basically said, look, for me to keep this business running, I need to take the power back. I promoted uh, my sort of number two, my COO to CEO. And I said, I'm going to rebuild this website over the next two or three months. Better, bigger, and we'll relaunch it, but I will be in control of it. And basically, I kind of rebooted the entire company at that point because I, I couldn't... How many times during the... And this for either of you, how many times over the past number of years while you've had your now successful businesses still facing their challenges, but have you felt this tension between, I don't want to be a control freak. If this is going to scale, I have to spread the responsibility out. And I know what I want from this, and I know I can deliver it, and I'm not going to be happy. I'm going to have to take this back. Is that a tension for you, Ben? Every day, like five or six times a day. And it's something that I'll, I'll always, I'm a solo founder for a reason that I did, the, you know, I started this company on my own because I knew that that would ensure that it happened quickly. Um, I like moving at pace. I'm an obsessive. I like getting things done quickly. And in, like Anthony, I'm also an engineer. Um, I have happily surrendered any control I have over the code base. But every single day there, there, there are decisions that you think, I could do this myself. However, you, I am gradually learning, I'm still not very good at it, to accept that you have to empower your staff. You have to sometimes let decisions be made without you. In order to get things done even quicker. Just because you can't do everything yourself. Of course you can't. And, and even, even if you accept that, like, right, if I remove myself from this process or this decision, it probably will be 80% as good as if I had done it myself. But that's fine. That, 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 that's all right. So yeah, I I, still, I don't know if it's the same with you, Anthony, but it's something that I'm not, you know, I, I'm trying to get a lot better at, which is extricating myself from every single part of the business. And what what? Just the same question back to you. When did it get scariest for you? What was the isolated incident you can remember that where you thought, Christ, this might not happen? We were once ten days away from running out of money, so we. How many of you at the time? There were six of us. Mm. Um, and it and, and the frustrating thing was, and I'm, I don't know if Ant's been in the same situation, but the money was committed. It it was just a case of getting an investor over the line and making them wire the goddamn money. And uh, and <laughs> at exactly that time, for six days, the investor went AWOL. So I was literally trying to work out right: has this guy died, um, or has something awful happened? Because if I don't get his money within within uh, ten days, I can't pay my staff. But and, and that will never happen again. That was my mistake. You know, I should never have let it get e- even close to that. <laughs> Anthony, you've got a great take on fundraising. We're going to cover that off in a sec. Benj, one of the resources on the internet that Nicole and I referred to when fundraising to get Rebel Tech off the ground was your Hackanoon blog, The Rookie's Guide to Raising Investment, which we will put a link to on the show notes because cool, it's really worth... A read. What what inspired you to write that? Just because I was so clueless when I started out. Um, all the way through, I kept on like you know saying to myself, "You've got to write this stuff down," because it was a, a very steep learning curve. I wasted loads of time. I think it's probably the hardest part of running a business at, at the early stages. I think once you get, you know, certainly once you're you're more mature as a business, lots lots of other 
problems um, can can start to to take over from just fundraising. But certainly in the early stages of a startup, especially a startup like Pickfair, where we've been very clear that we need to obsessively build the non-revenue generating side of our marketplace, the photographers and the images um before we fully go to market you know so you need capital absolutely right it is it is you know image image licensing is a marketplace where the chicken has to come before the egg so we have been reliant mostly on um on investor money for the last couple of years and and i've decided not to raise through vcs and do big tickets i've done lots of smaller tickets which has meant i've spent most of my time raising anyway and if i and the reason i wrote the blog is hopefully it has helped other people raise money and also it helps me i probably get a couple of emails a week of people saying hey i've got this idea what do you think i should do i said like, read this blog yeah and if there's anything else anything that's not in the blog yeah. tell me and, I, yeah. and we'll talk i mean at times chasing investments has gone for you from creative to a bit crazy hasn't it tell me about um how you first met alexis from reddit i learned to code through a company called general assembly uh, alexis is an investor in in general assembly and also, I, one of my projects, I made this um, whilst I was learning to code. I made a reskinned Reddit using their API. So I made a, an attractive, beautiful version of Reddit because Reddit looks like absolute shit. And I tweeted at him and he was like, yeah, this is awesome. And he's clearly a very nice, encouraging, good guy. Um, and when I finished the course and I was building Pickfair, he was touring the States, uh, pimping this book that was called Without Their Permission. And the whole theme of the book and his talks was, what you should do is quit your job, learn how to code and launch business. And I was like, that's, well, that's, that's what I've just done. And so I went to General Assembly and I said to General Assembly, right, if Pickfair succeeds, you succeed because you can put this, you know, you can show off about, hey, this great business came out of one of our coding classes. So I got them to introduce me to Alexis. At one stage, he couldn't do it. So I mocked up this entire Guardian front page with, with um, Alexis's face all over it and sent that out to him. He eventually agreed to meet me in a coffee shop in, in New York. So we met in a coffee shop in New York. Basically, he'd never done an investment outside of the UK before. So he was, and, he, and his lawyer was, was, was quite reticent about it, and it's just quite complex. So he, at the time, was saying, I, Benji, I can't, I can't necessarily invest in this. And eventually, he did. The reason I wanted him so bad was so I could... And I said this to him, I want to put you on my first press release. But Anthony, you've got a different uh, take on fundraising. You've completed your last two rounds. Uh, congratulations, by the way. December Thank you. December last year, right? You, you closed another round through crowdfunding. Tell me a bit about that. We, back in 2015, we were looking to raise money. We got a term sheet from Index Ventures, obviously Europe, one of Europe's largest and um, most respected VCs. But we only had one term sheet. And a golden rule is when you're trying to raise money, ideally have more than one offer on the table, Try obviously to help your negotiating position. But we only had one. Nicole, I wish we'd known that before. <laughs> have more than one offer on the table. Fuck, that's so good. It, it makes life a little bit yeah. easier. Um, and the term sheet was good, but it wasn't exactly what we were looking for. And so we thought, okay, we'd heard of crowdfunding, but we thought rather than getting two VCs to you know square up against each other, why not have a VC on one side, which they're going to ask for preference shares and additional rights, etc., and then the crowd, which are ordinary shares, which, you know, have a lot of power in terms of the ambassador base and everything else and the PR you can generate off the back of it. And so we thought, OK, well, let's play those two against each other. In the end, we did a hybrid where we got the VC investment, plus we got the crowd on top of it. Um, but tell me about the power of the crowd, because I think there's probably a couple of extra risks you took. One was you, you counted on people caring about it, but also you counted on being able to handle the beast that is the crowd. If anything, that gave us much more opportunity to tap into that emotion. Parking is the end of everyone's journey, 
but it's also the beginning of the experience you're going on. So you're going to a museum, you're going to a restaurant. And so we've got a lot of power to control how good that experience is going to be based on how easy it is, how stress-free that parking experience is. But we also had a lot of homeowners, business owners who were making a lot of money through Just Park. And so they already felt invested in the business. And they just wanted to sort of, I guess, share that journey, share the experience and be able to help us and ultimately help themselves as well. And with, with the crowdfunding, it's not just retail investors you're getting. You're getting people who are directors of large accountancy firms, directors of large property companies, people who can open up their black book of contacts and really help speed up your sales cycle or sit on, you know, become an advisory board. So when you get that list of investors through, you go on LinkedIn, you find out where they work. It's an incredible network of really small angels who you choose when you want to reach out to. But that's the dream and the thing that happens at the end, that's the benefit. On the way, aren't you held to a different kind of scrutiny than you would be or a different kind of process than you would be if you're dealing with a VC and a piece of paper and some lawyer? Like you're dealing with people and that can be quite hard. Um, You know, for us, all we need is for someone's grandmother to show up, park park in that parking space when someone else is supposed to have that reserved guaranteed space. And that customer experience has been destroyed. And we've got to deal with that. And so we're, we're very used to dealing with the public, dealing with their problems. And, you know, with the, with the crowd, I guess the, the, main, the main challenge is being comfortable opening up your business, telling them everything you're doing, what you're doing, how you're doing it, how well you're performing, how well you're doing as a CEO, and, and being able to and being open to, to answer pretty much any question they throw at you. This whole agility thing that the big corporates are trying to tap into with the startup landscape, it's actually quite difficult because if you're always innovating and you guys never stop coming up with ideas, how do you know when the new direction or the new revenue stream is the right one? That's your job as the, the founder to allow your, give yourself room to fail. We, we are currently doing a few different experiments um, uh, in terms of where uh, working out where the most efficient route to revenue is, um, and I, I've been pretty clear with my team that we're going to try a number of things here, and a few of them might fail, um, but that's absolutely what we have to do. And again, it's about taking taking your investors on on the journey with you and being really straight up with them and being able to say we're going to do a, a number of things here, um, whether it's testing out new revenue revenue streams, whether it's testing out. Um, you know, different team configurations to make sure that you can, you know, ship code better. Like, um, and I think that that's just, it's just the, I, I, it's probably the thing that differentiates a startup from a proper company, that there is this continuous appetite for experimentation. And that and that changes, like I, I would imagine with, um, with, with Anthony's business, which is a lot more mature and a lot bigger than Pickfair, um, that constant experimentation stops because you've done all the, the experimentation and hopefully learned. He's shaking his head. <laughs> uh, not, not at all. But I, I, I guess to add to your point, absolutely you need to keep experimenting and not being afraid to fail. But what you want to try and do is make sure if you are going to fail, you fail quickly. Yeah. You don't want to be investing months and months, if not years of time, of, of development time, of product time on an idea that's going to fail. I think this is, this is um, consistent within that kind of um, comparison between a startup and a, and, a, and a business it's like startup years are like dog years the the you, you the things you will do and change within a month are what most big businesses will take two years to do you know and, and sometimes that's brutal like it's a, a member of staff that isn't working you have to move pretty quickly to change that because you just don't have time to 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 carry people 
um, some, sometimes it's a particular um, project that just isn't performing, and you and you you feel as if you've given it as much as much time as you can. It might not be the amount of time that it needs, but you've given it the amount of time that you can, and you have to you have to cut it off. There's also a bit of a fatigue around the way we are as startups that we get looked upon as, you know, these are just children's playhouses, and that I mean, I, I'm, you've both said fail fast and actually we hear that 25 times a week do you feel a responsibility to also try and be a solid growth uh investment a good company a good employer as well as just herring around trying to uh break things and fix them again I absolutely believe that there is a backlash against tech coming and I'm frankly amazed that it hasn't been worse already like you 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 read about um you know, ultimately, a huge amount of the the bigger startups are um, will affect a lot of manual jobs, and yet still they haven't really rounded on Silicon Valley. You read you read about um, you know the kind of the, the gentrified communities of San Francisco. Uh, you know, people write, writing to the local mayor, complaining about the homeless folk, and asking if they can be you know tidied away, and and still they haven't turned on on Silicon Valley. I was in San Francisco with my wife's cousin for a couple of days on a trip a work trip a couple of years ago, and I, I remember seeing all these restaurants that nobody was in. And I said to her, how, how, how does the economy work here? How, how's, how are things going? And she pointed to the buses that, that, you know, the huge coaches that Google and all the others send back into town every morning and every night to pick the workers up and drive them out into the hills where they get really, really superbly catered for. So nobody's using these snack bars and sandwich places, and, and so the economy is just shrinking. But it's not, and it's not just a concentration of people. It's a, it is a concentration of wealth. Like, Silicon Valley, in terms of wealth concentration, is, is bigger and more concentrated than Wall Street. And I, and I do feel, it does feel as if, surely, at some stage, this is going to explode. I often even feel it when you look at things like... Um, uh, Elon Musk and Tesla, who, who are these kind of revered, um, you know, businessmen, and you know, in, in, he's, a, he's a revered businessman, and, and, and the innovation is amazing and it's so exciting. But he's also a multi-billion, a multi-billionaire who's sending cars into space whilst people are starving, you know. And this kind of this this disparity, it does, it does. I don't know if I'm maybe sort of over-egging this, but it does feel like there was a lot of forces happening simultaneously. You look at the forces that that contributed to Trump to Brexit, um, these are, it's, a lot of it is anger. And often when you're anger and you're a have-not, you look at the haves. And Silicon Valley is clear, clearly an area where there are a lot of haves. Just, just, just to sort of still get to some sort of coherent finale. Tech has to be very, very important. It doesn't disappear up its own arse. Yeah. Because that will accelerate this coming backlash, backlash. And I think that it does happen a lot. Heart, I love you so. What's the one thing that no one talks about when it comes to being a successful founder? So people always talk about failure and failure fans. What sucks about succeeding? Mental health. Really? Okay. It's, as I was saying earlier, being an entrepreneur is a lifestyle choice. The ups and downs, the roller coaster ride you go on, um, I've been on over the last 11 years, the decline in your social life initially, the impact it has on relationships, um, I don't, I don't know if there have been any studies, actually, into the mental health of entrepreneurs and what kind of crazy crackpot idiot you have to be to go on this journey, especially, like, Benji and myself as sole founders. It's quite lonely. Extremely lonely. Like, you've got, you've got Nicole. Like, the advice I've given to so many people who are looking to start their business 
get a co-founder. It may, like you want to share the ups and the highs and go out for a, for a drink and have an excuse to go out with someone, but also someone to give you a you know a hug when you lose that deal or you don't get that that you know that term sheet. Share that experience. You think it has an effect on long-term mental health? Long-term, I don't know. Again, I don't know if there've been studies, but it can't be healthy to burn out two, three, four times a year as I did at the beginning to not be physically not physically be able to get out of bed or t- tap on a keyboard. Um, to have a brain drain to pick up the phone and talk to someone. Um, okay, that's extreme, and I haven't had that experience that for you know seven, eight years at least. But so many ups and downs. It, it can't be. It can't be healthy. Those first few years, you were at your youngest, uh, so you learnt, had to learn to deal with that yourself. Absolutely, and you know those between the age of let's say twenty four and twenty six, um, my quality of life, my the the, the the standard of living I had was was awful. Uh, Benj, I, 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 Anthony's nailed it. That's it. It's your it's your head. <laughs> it fucks with your head. Yeah. Um, uh, and also, the <clears throat> you just described um, us and me as successful entrepreneurs. I've n- I'm not absolutely not, and I don't, I don't think I've felt that. When will you be? I don't know. But 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 that constant feeling that you're not doing good enough. That's a, and, and that, again comes back to the mental health issue. Like, it's it's um, it's it's a double edged sword. Because on the one hand, I think you probably need to feel like that to keep pushing a business forward, and actually, or, or, or even just making the business successful in the first place. Um, on the other hand, it's quite draining to permanently feel like you're not doing good enough. Mm. I was fortunate that about a year and a half into starting my business, I was introduced to a um, a social group called ICE. ICE is a group of tech entrepreneurs in London. We were all in our sort of early to mid-twenties, and there's now a group of maybe, I don't know, two, three, four hundred of us. We go to events, we meet up every now and then, and it's being able to talk to other founders who are going through exactly the same thing as you. Mm. What Benji said, being ten days away from running out of money, if Benji didn't speak to other founders, he'd think that was his problem and his problem alone, because a lot of people don't publicly talk about that kind of stuff. I know 50 companies that have been even five days away from running out of money, People who have had to lay off half their staff within a week of raising money. Um, being able to share those problems, share solutions, um, but just have someone to talk to and share the experience is so important. Guys, uh, thank you for your honesty. I expected nothing less of you, but actually, profoundly, you've done an amazing job. This is where we pick up the pace for the last minute of the podcast. It's called 60 Second Rebellion. This is a quick fire round. No wussing out. I need answers from both of you. Advice to your 16-year-old self, Benji. Stop trying to be cool. <laughs> Anthony, advice to your 16-year-old self. Stop being cool. <laughs> your 16-year-old self's advice to the grown-up you. You're working too hard. And? Lose some weight. <laughs> You've, you look brilliant. Thank yeah. you. Um, a piece of ass, Ant. <laughs> The most important single character trait for any founder or entrepreneur? Humility. Humility. Amazing. Perseverance. You're given the power and money to solve one big global problem and one tiny, annoying, day-to-day, small, first-world problem. What big and small problem do you solve? Big problem, poverty. Small problem, parking. Nice. (laughs) You cheese bag. (laughs) I know. But he did just advertise his own company as solving a small problem. But it is for me, Mark. It's about the unfair royalty distribution within image licensing. Yeah. Okay. No, is that no, no. big or small? That, that's that's actually both, Mark. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, no, no. Big uh, anger. Uh, people are getting angrier. Small. 
tangled wires, specifically earphones. Look at this, Exhibit A, right in front of us. Mark is holding up a very tangled set of earphones. Can I tell you a secret? I can't tie laces, shoelaces. I can, but I can't tie them in a way in which they stay tied for the whole day. I'm, I'm not very good at sustaining. I'm brilliant at doing, but not at sustaining. But my fucking headphones, if they were my shoelaces, my <laughs> shoes would stay on all day. <laughs> Um, guys, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure, and this is going to be a brilliant podcast because of you two. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Mark. <laughs> Did you know that most people that listen to podcasts don't have time to leave a review, including my friend Tom Whiteley, who works from home? Go on, be a rebel. Tell us what you really think and give us a rating while you're at it. Post-match analysis with lions. So sorry to James O'Brien. Love that. That rhymes as well. It was good. As they were talking, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Mark and I have done this. Yeah. Oh, the investment. Yeah, we went through that. And everything they were talking about, I was able to go, oh, thank God I had you, Mark. Yeah. Well, it totally made me appreciate hearing them talk about... I mean, they opened their they opened themselves up to some. I, they were more honest than I thought they were going to be, mm. and they talked about depression. They talked about uh, mental health. They talked about um, the loneliness, and it totally made me appreciate you all the more. They, I thought they were really honest about the job behind the job. Like, not everybody is fit or set to be a founder and take that much risk. And we were talking with Benji a little bit about the difference between a startup and a small business, and it's a really, really fair point. I think with a startup mindset, you've got an element of risk, a, a huge element of speed. Yeah. Um, like things go really, really quickly. You have to make them work really quickly. There's probably a, an access or an appreciation or a, a, an embracing of technology. And then there's a flexibility and agility and a pivot thing that small businesses potentially or, or that, that probably distinguishes them. But you, you're yeah. used to this. You yeah. know this because your entire clan comes from this world I do my entire clan so my whole family my mum my dad my grandparents my brother like then my cousins um have all been self-employed and run their own businesses so it's all I've ever known and I remember um over the years just watching how they handled the good and the bad and the roller coasters that went behind it so I think I think I always knew that was what I wanted to do um I just knew I had to find the right business partner and the right kind of Bless. place for me there you go i got it <laughs> make you feel better i come from a different place and none of my people do my entire family my wider family aunties uncles cousins brothers sisters mum and dad all teachers in education all brilliant brilliant teachers my dad was an entrepreneur actually ah, and mum i remember you met i love this story yeah well it's it, my dad was an entrepreneur he yeah. he, he left uh, I think he left school at 16, did some stuff with a family business and insurance, but then opened Leemark Electrical, Leemark being my brother Leon and myself, yeah. and had a really, really good business in Liverpool with my grandfather and others who, you know, we still stay in touch with. And mum was there as well, helping out with all the numbers and the phone calls. And um, But now they're all in education, and we and I don't come from a place where running your own business is the sensible thing to do. So you're basically risky. the loose cannon in the family. Well, I've... <laughs> I'm loose. <laughs> That's all for this episode of Rebel Talk. I'm your host, Mark Schwakey. Thanks so much for joining us. My thanks also to our brilliant production team at Hard Six Audio, to Spirit Landing Kings Cross for the beautiful studio, and to my Rebel Tech co-host, Nicole Lyons, and producer Meg Wright. Until next time, up the Rebels. Rebels, Rebel, your face is a mess. Rebels, Rebel, how could they know?
and my colleague Meg can cut out anything we say. So literally, you can say anything here. Cool. Everything's fuck the police. <laughs> that, Leave yeah? that in. <laughs> Leave that in. <laughs>